You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome one and all to episode 194 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. And thank you to my Patreon patrons and GameAt.eu for supporting the show. I greatly appreciate it. What are we talking about tonight? Well, we have a letter from Aaron, and he's discussing brutality in Age of Sigmar, so we will uh, discuss that. Then we also have a fantastically named miniature for Lord of the Rings that I wanted to cover. I'm just going to leave that as a little nugget for you in that segment, because I don't really want to say too much about it. Uh, then we also have Real Talk with the Pimpcron, and that is the main topic for tonight. And I come up with five ways to try to correct a bad game. When you're playing Warhammer, Age of Sigmar, or 40k, it and it's going very poorly, this is how you can correct that. And some of these have different thresholds for points, or units lost, or just rolling terribly, or whatever. This is kind of a toolkit for you to use in your casual games. And I am going to start implementing some of this as well in mine. Some of them I like better than others, but you can pick and choose how you want. But if you'll recall some of my games recently, I've rolled terrible, and this, some of these things at least, would really, really help me. I apologize in advance if I sound weird or I sound snotty or whatever. Uh, my allergies are, like, driving me nuts right now, so everything's in bloom and, and that's the way it is. So hopefully it doesn't sound weird, but if it does, I apologize. Another apology is if you thought that last episode seemed like a bait-and-switch between the title and what I was discussing. Now, I heard from a trusted friend that listens to the podcast, and he said that it should not have been named the Curse of Skirmish Games. It should have been How Brutality is Better Than Everything Else. And that is not at all what I was trying to get across. What I was trying to get across is how Skirmish Games are a curse because they end up spoiling you as a player. And that was my whole goal. Now, maybe I did not explain that well enough, and that's totally possible. Um, a lot of these are extemporaneous speeches that I do. It's kind of, I know what I want to say, and of course I have my opinion, and I know where I'm going with it, but it is off the top of my head. Some of them are scripted, and some of them aren't. So that's how it goes. But if you felt like last episode was a bait-and-switch as far as the title and what I actually said in that segment... I apologize. I really did not intend for that. So what have I been up to? Well, I didn't make it to the game club this week, and you will never, ever guess why. Never. Never in a million years will you guess why the Pimpcron did not go to the gaming club this week. Would you believe, and maybe I won't even explain this for a while, I'll just let you wonder, would you believe that my mother and I... Instead of me going to the game store, we both attended a Narcotics Anonymous meeting together. Would you believe that? Because that is the truth. So I'm just going to let you sit on that thought, and uh, I'm going to circle back in a few minutes. <laughs> Ooh, the suspense is getting to you, isn't it? Is Pimpcron on the juice? Anyway, what else have I been up to? Not a whole heck of a lot, honestly. Uh, between work and allergies and all that, I've been very tired, so... Uh, brutal space uh, maybe worked a little bit on that and that's about it I have not painted any miniatures I always go through spurts anyway of painting miniatures I will paint every single day for two weeks on miniatures and then all of a sudden I won't paint for like a month or two and that's just I don't know why it just comes in spurts so that is pretty much all I've been up to 
so now I guess I'll keep you from waiting any further for why I went to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting with my mother. Uh, it really, the explanation of it's not nearly as exciting as you probably thought. Uh, one of our employees has been several years uh, clean, and he's like, oh, I'm having a party for, you know, to, it's been several years, and he's like, oh, I'm having a several year party to celebrate that I've been clean for all these years, etc., etc., and we really like him. He's a super great guy. So we're like, okay, fine, we'll go to this party. We have no idea what we're going to. <laughs> so he did not explain to us that this was actually a Narcotics Anonymous meeting. So <laughs> we get there, and they thought that we were, like, I guess, recovering addicts or whatever, because they're like, oh, here's some new faces. And we sat down with everyone else, and we did. we just assumed all of these people were people that he knew, like, I, I guess from his personal life, he was there and his mom was there and we were there. So, you know, we, we knew those people, but everyone else we didn't know. I, it was actually very interesting. I know this is way off topic, but it was actually very interesting. I'd never been to one of these meetings or whatever, except you see them on TV and movies and things like that. And, um, what we found is that everybody there was extremely nice. Everybody was extremely supportive of each other. And they all spoke about how our employee was a great guy and how, you know, they all support each other and, and all of that. And it ended up being really cool. And they were all surprised that we were his employers because when we introduced ourselves, we had to introduce ourselves to the group and they all assumed that we were just joining because we had a narcotics problem. And, uh, no, no, uh, they were all surprised. They're like, oh, when we said, oh, well, this is, we're his employers. And they were all kind of shocked by that. So I guess no employer's ever gone to that. But he's, like I said, we love him. He's a great guy. He's very dependable. And he's been many, many years uh, clean. So we're very, personally, I'm very, very proud of him for doing that. And uh, he didn't work for us when he wasn't clean. But still, it's it's really cool that somebody could actually turn their life around, suffer from a really bad addiction, and turn their life around and decide, you know what? No, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to get help. I'm gonna, you know, make my life better, all of that. So I'm, I'm very proud of him. As a matter of fact, I was proud of everybody in that group. I mean, for them to go every single week and, you know, try to stay on the straight and narrow. We talked to one guy, he's been like 21 years sober. And I'm like, dude, that is fantastic. I, it was actually kind of moving and kind of inspirational because these people, they don't know each other in their personal lives. They don't even know each other's last names because you're not supposed to say that. And I'm not supposed to say anything that, you know, any, I'm not supposed to repeat anything that anybody said there, but it did get a little awkward because it was a full blown meeting. Now there was like cake and ice cream and stuff afterwards, but he did not prepare us at all <laughs> that we were attending a narcotics anonymous meeting. So that was interesting. And when I left there, I was like, Hey mom, <laughs> We've, we've attended, now we can say, I can personally say, I went to an NA meeting with my mom. Yep, that's what we did. So that was my gaming for this week. <laughs> anyway, it was pretty awkward. It was pretty awkward because, you know, you would expect it does get pretty sincere and pretty heartfelt and pretty emotional and all of that. And it really is no joke. These people take it very seriously and they're very supportive of each other. So it was actually very sweet and it was a bit of faith in humanity restored. You know, they talked about how 
they a, a lot of them come from families and backgrounds where their families and don't care about them. They don't ask about them. They don't care if they get clean. They a lot of them like verbally tell them that they're never going to get clean or whatever. And there were also alcoholics there too. Um, I guess, but uh, anyway, and they said that this group is their family that cares about them. You know, if they miss one week, everyone's like, Hey, where were you last week? And they want to make sure everybody stays on the wagon, you know? And this is a very odd topic for a Warhammer podcast, but I thought it was really cool. And I can finally say that I went to an NA meeting with my own mom. So, all right, let's get on to the rest of the show. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. On this Tesseract mailbox, we have an, a letter from Aaron, which is a listener, and a brutality player. And we were discussing back and forth about, uh, he left us a good review and said the game was cool and everything. He just wished there was more of an online presence. And by this point, that was a several months ago. By this point, we've had many, many YouTube channels cover it and do playthroughs and battle reports. And, and him and I were discussing that. So this is the, that conversation. It's awesome that you are promoting the game. I bring brutality up to everyone I play Age of Sigmar with at different shops. Gotten several people to try it with me and my friends. I feel like the main reason people flock to the big guys is because there's already people playing those games at most shops and it's easy to find people to play with. So of course he means big guys like Games Workshop or Mantic. Whenever I can get new people to try it with me, often I hear stuff like, how have I never heard of this before? This game's sweet and stuff like that. So it's cool to know that you're still getting the word out. I've been going back and forth between Brutality and AOS a lot lately now that my Stormcast don't suck so bad anymore, but still playing at least some Brutality every week. So thank you for writing in Aaron and thanks for that um, praise and that nice review. I greatly appreciate it. And yeah, if you can keep spreading the word, I am always... um. I almost said proselytizing, but that's not it. I'm always trying to spread the word. I don't know what other word to use. Spread the word of brutality. And um, you're 100% right, though. It's definitely not just for me, but for anybody that is a smaller um, a smaller developer. It's very hard to get your information out there and get people to try your game and things like that. Um, especially if your game has miniatures, has its own miniatures, such as, you know, Malifaux or Dust Tactics or whatever. Now, Malifaux is very well known. It's nowhere near the size of Games Workshop. It's probably not the same size as Mantic. But even, like, as far as the big-name companies go, Games Workshop is so far above all of the others as far as uh, prevalence and people playing it no matter where you go and people know of it. Mantic is probably second, but it is far back, you know, like... The GW finished the race like 10 minutes ago and here comes Mantic, you know, like, it, and I'm not hating on Mantic. I actually really like Mantic as a company. I really like their philosophies and the way they do business and their miniatures have gotten much, much better over the years. They do have some kind of generic looking models and I don't think the detail is quite there as Games Workshop is, but um, I think Mantic, partially it's the price. Mantic is half the price for an equivalent model of GW. Now, GW may be a higher quality model, but in most cases, come on, none of us are Picasso. We're not, actually, Picasso wasn't a great painter. You get my point. None of us are Michelangelo, okay? Or Donatello, or Rafi, or Leonardo, 
Splinter, even. or None of us are even Splinter. I'm not even April O'Neil when it comes to painting miniatures. So, do I need all that detail? Uh, I don't know. I mean, if you're on a budget, just go with Mantic. But it is really hard to get your name out there. And um, I know even the Mantic group in our, like, mid, uh, mid-Atlantic mid area, it's not that many people. It's like, I'm going to say it's 50 people total in, like, three states. It's, like, not a lot. Now, you're not really counting, like, the Garage Hammer people that maybe them and a couple friends play in their garage and they really have no connection to the tournament circuit or whatever. But it's really not that many people. Um... And there are multiple circuit groups, so, I mean, maybe there's 50 in this one, 50 in another. It might be a couple hundred people total, but the point is, is compared to Games Workshop, in one state you'll have several hundred people play. Um, so, it, it is definitely an uphill battle. And uh, specifically talking from my experience, being a self-published person, you know, if you're talking about... Um, you made your own game and you're trying to get your name out there and get people to review your game and things like that... I've bought, now, it's weird. I got rid of all my collections, okay? I sold all my comic books. I sold um, all of my uh, Magic the Gathering, except for some fun decks. Um, I've sold a bunch of stuff in the past, okay? All the things I used to collect, I've pretty much sold. I had a bunch of really nice uh, Star Trek action figures sort of things. I sold all of them. I've sold a bunch of stuff. And really, the only collection I have now, besides Warhammer, the actual thing that I do collect is I collect skirmish miniature game rules and just wargaming rules in general. I would bet that I have the rules for 30 to 40 different miniature games. And some of these are way, way off the beaten path. Like, they are obscure. Some of them are not even made anymore. Some of them have gone out of business. Some of them are out of print. Um... I've got everything from Mantic's Armada ship game to Core Space to uh, Mutants and Ray Guns and just all sorts of stuff all the way up from the big names all the way down to the very obscure. And uh, I bought one that's just like tables. It's white and black and it's just table after table after table of information. And it's, I'm not going to tell you the game's name because I'm not going to talk trash, but it is another self-published person and there is not a single thought given to the presentation of the rules at all. There's no images, it's all black and white, it's just table upon table. And uh, I got bored, I read about five pages of that book and got bored to death. I'm like, I can't read this. It's And, I, and I'm not easily like, distracted or anything like that. I can sit down and read a novel. I can sit down there and pay attention to things. This was so dry and so bland and so, like, there was no panache put into it. Now, this person has clearly put in hundreds of hours statting out everything. They essentially tried to make a game where you could play whatever you wanted. Cowboys versus aliens or whatever. Ghosts versus vampires, whatever. And the problem is, is I have also done that, but I have focused on what an object or a person does and not what they are. And they focused, which is what 99% of the games do, they focus on what it is. So this person made this game and has like 20 or 30 pages of charts of stats for weapons and armor. And every type of monster or creature you could ever want. And that's all fine and well. They've put a ton of effort into it. 
But the problem is, is that that's basically what people are expecting when they see a self-published game. They're expecting it to not have the graphical flair. They're expecting it to be very tedious. They're expecting it not to be playtested or, or whatever. They're expecting it to be rough around the edges. And naturally, Brutality is not a perfect game. I mean, there's things that, um, you know, there. I probably at some point will issue some FAQs. I do get asked the same questions over and over sometimes, and those questions actually are answered in the book, but I'm curious if it's not easy to find, so I should probably issue some sort of FAQ. There's only one or two questions I've ever been asked that actually technically aren't answered in the rulebook. You know how Games Workshop or any any game has like some gray areas, like in this particular situation, how do the rules get resolved? So any game has that. But uh, I've noticed that um, because my I have more of a uh, artistic nature as far as that goes, um, I put a lot of effort into how the book looks and how it's presented in addition to everything else. And uh, typically people are like, oh, yeah, send me a copy or send me the PDF. And I don't know if I have time to look at it or whatever. And they've got to they, they give themselves a good out. And I understand totally, you know, I'm an independent um, but then after they see the book and they see the quality of it, they go, oh, yeah, actually, we will review that. And then then I get reviews. So that's cool. That makes me happy. But a lot and I've, I'm not lying to you. I've got so many books that are even by actual publishers um, like Osprey Games, Osprey Games. Now, this is this might piss off some of you, but I have never been impressed by an Osprey Games book. I've got many, many of their books and the, I find their rules to be overly tedious. They, if For those of you who don't know, Osprey Games is a publisher, I think in Britain, that publishes a ton of those blue stripe books. And they're historicals, they're sci-fi, there's, I think they're the ones that make Gaslands. That's one book I don't have. Um, but anyway, they've got, a, they've got a ton of different rules. And um, they make just one-off rules. A Billion Suns is one of them, a spaceship game. Boring as sin. I'm not lying to you. It is, and they have pictures of miniatures. They don't usually have illustrations, which is fine. At least that's something. But their pages are only white. The text is black. There's not that many illustrations or there's not much. In most cases, there's almost no backstory at all. There's almost no lore. There's no nothing. It's like generic rules for uh, war games. But they are a big name in the miniatures, not big compared to Mantic or GW, I don't think, but they are big in certain circles, and people just love Osprey games. And I have always been like, oh, what's what's this thing about? You know, it must be really good because everyone raves about it. And then I, like, fell asleep four times reading Billion Sons, or uh, The Men Who Would Be Kings I also have. And I also have, uh, is it Scrappers? I have Scrappers, but I don't remember if that's an Osprey Games ones or not. But anyway, they've got a bunch of bunch of different games. And uh, I have never seen the appeal. I'm not lying to you. I just don't don't get it. So, um, and I'm not trying to trash talk them. I truly don't get it. I bought their books. Like, I, I paid for them. I didn't bootleg them or anything like that. But they're so tedious. And it's so, it's rolling for no reason. You know, there's a lot of rolls that kind of don't do anything. And it's just bland. So... It's like eating dry toast, just dry white toast. It's like fine, but it's there's nothing interesting about it. 
And, um, but there you go right there. There's that bias of, oh, oh, uh, the Osprey games, it must be awesome. Uh, well, they're not really that great, <laughs> but whatever. Um, and Mantic, I do find Mantic is much simpler than Games Workshop, but Mantic, uh, their rules, I still find their rules to have quite a bit of uniqueness to them. Um, matter of fact, I think I do. It's like Mantic is sometimes simpler than 8th edition 40k. But then 9th edition, 40k is so complex, I kind of would like something, if I had to I have to choose one, I would rather have the simplicity of the Mantic games. But, that kind of leaves a bit to be desired, so, you know, I would like it a little more complex than that, but I don't want it as complex as 9th. But whatever, I guess I'm rambling. Anyway, Aaron, thank you for writing in, and you are 100% correct trying to get your name out there if you're a smaller company, especially if you're selling miniatures, is definitely an uphill battle because then you require them to have your miniatures as well. Anyway, sorry if I rambled on that one. Let's get to the next segment. Want that or want that not? Hey, well, look at the time. It is want that or want that not. And today we have... (laughs) We have a model from Games Workshop that is the most generic model that has ever been made. The model itself is not actually bad, but just the name of it. This is for Lord of the Rings, and this model is Dragon for $80. Not, not, no, not a named Dragon. No, not Smog or whatever his name is, Smog. No, not that guy. Not some sort of neat Stormcast dragon, you know, or a Dracolith, or a Dracoline, or a Dracoth, or... No, 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 none of that. Star Drake? No, no, my friend. This is Dragon. (laughs) I don't know why that strikes me so much. Uh, Dragon. Anyway, it's a powerful dragon for your armies of Moria. An impenetrable hide and mighty wings make this a nightmare foe. Contains one resin miniature. And you might wonder, with a name like Dragon, what is the miniature? Well, it's a very large cat. A tabby cat. No, it's actually... Hmm, might be a little surprising. It's actually a dragon. And, uh, it's... uh, Totally fine. It's on all fours. If you looked at this, you would say, That looks like a dragon. And you would be right. I guess that's why they named it Dragon. Uh, I mean, really not a whole lot to say about this. Okay, picture in your mind a dragon. Okay? And it's got wings. And it's on all fours. And it's turning its head to the right. And it's got little white spikes down its spine. It's got scales. It's got teeth. It's got two horns on its head you pretty much know what dragon looks like for your armies of Moria. That's dragon, all right. Oh, man, that is so dragon. Look at him. It's not that intimidating of a pose, to be honest with you. Um, And I guess because this is Lord of the Rings, they can't just, like, make up a named dragon. I guess this is just... I don't know. I think I feel like they should name it something, right? This is the antithesis of... The way Games Workshop works now, where everything has to be trademarkable, everything has to be unique. This this one's just dragon. Not red dragon, not gold dragon, hill dragon, 
Prisma Dragon, uh, Nightmare Dragon. No, 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 no. Just Dragon. <laughs> I don't know why it tickles me as much as it does, but it truly does. Dragon for 80 bucks. Um, I am willing to bet you can find a more interesting looking dragon for 80 bucks somewhere else. Probably Wizards of the Coast, probably their deep cuts or whatever, probably for D&D. And this, let me tell you, is totally serviceable. It is a dragon. If you look at this, it does look like dragon. But there's really nothing interesting about it. There's nothing special at all. He's, he's he just, and to be honest, his wings look a little big. Um, his wings actually look like they kind of belong to like another kit and it's just been slapped onto him because his wings are pretty much bigger than his body. And, uh, I I don't know. I find nothing interesting about this 80 bucks. That is a want that not for me, but you got to give him credit. This was not false advertising. This is indeed dragon. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Well, this is Real Talk with the Pentcron, and if you've been listening lately, you've heard me whine and complain about my recent games, my last three games of Warhammer I played. I rolled garbage, and I just got smacked on the butt, a bit too hard for my liking, for several hours, and there was nothing I could do about it. Well, I thought to myself, you know, instead of whining and complaining, why don't I try? And the the preferable word is try. Try to institute some rules that if two players agree on them, it will basically help balance the game and try to make sure both game both players are in the game still no matter what happens. Okay? Now this is this is an attempt. I was talking to just James about it. I have a couple rules for this. First off is simplicity, okay? If you ever bought my Epic War Planner, a Pimpcron's Epic War Planner on Amazon, you'll notice that all my rules are very simple. I'm not trying to overcomplicate Warhammer. It's something that lays over that, you know? It might be a, a one extra roll here or there, but it's not going to complicate it. The last thing I want is this balancing system to be a mini game in itself. I don't want that. So it's got to be simple. It also has to equally apply to Age of Sigmar and 40k. So it's got to be in a common enough language that it applies to both of them, okay? I can't be talking about toughness and strength and make it apply to Age of Sigmar because they don't have strength and toughness. So you get what I'm saying there. Um, Also, the third part is that there can be no bookkeeping. It's not something that you got to keep a bunch of you know, miracle dice or whatever to the side. There's enough mechanics like that in both games that I do not want that. I don't want you to have to be writing something on a piece of paper or whatever. So uh, the fourth rule is that it has to be scalable. So it kind of has to, if you're playing a small game or a big game or whatever. Age of Sigmar is far fewer points um, than 9th edition 40k. 40k now, of course, is, you know... A perfect game is like 100 points or something, something like that. And uh, Age of Sigmar, you know, a perfect game might be 20 points or something. It's way, way less. So it's got to be scalable. So the first thing that I wanted to address is that 
what if you're rolling absolute garbage, right? And that has been my curse recently. Just cannot make any rolls whatsoever. So my first point in order to uh, implement this is that let's address one way. Now, this would be multiple ways to do this, okay? I'm not, I'm not expecting you to pile all these onto each other. Might get a little complicated. But the first thing that could be done is any time a player that A, has lost more units than the opponent, or B, has fewer victory points than the opponent. Anytime, so I'm just going to call you the loser, okay? You're not, you may not actually be the loser of the game, but I'm just going to say you're lower on points or you've lost more units. So you're going to be the loser end, okay? That's what I'm going to refer to it as. Um, The loser, anytime that they make a roll to hit, wound, save, and they make 20% or less as successes, they can just pick all of it up and re-roll it once. They can do that anytime that happens. Now, at first you're like, what? That's crazy. Obviously, this does not apply to tournaments, but it would apply to friendly games. So, in other words, if you roll 10 dice and you only make two successes, that's 20% or less, then you can pick up the whole thing and re-roll it. Okay? Pretty simple. So, if you roll five dice and you only make one of them, no matter what, you needed three ups or four ups or five ups or whatever. If you only make one of them out of five, then you can pick up the whole thing and re-roll it one time. Okay? I personally like this because it's short and sweet and elegant and easy to administer. You go, oh, well, the reason why I had that you lost more units than the other person instead of points is because A... Uh, sometimes games like my game with Kojo or one of my other games recently, I think it was with James, the points didn't match how it was actually going. So sometimes you might not be lower in points, but you're getting your butt handed to you and it makes it more versatile. So both units, you know, you might be higher in points, but you've lost way more units. Okay. Well then you get to do it, but they have fewer points than you. So they also get to do it. But before you freak out 20%, is nothing. It's one in five. So you are rolling pretty terrible if you are only making two out of 10 hits, wounds, saves, whatever. Okay. It doesn't matter if you needed six ups. It doesn't matter. You can just re-roll it because honestly, a six up is a six up, right? You're likely not going to make any more six ups than you did the first time. Matter of fact, it's, it seems in uh, hindsight that you probably will make fewer. But it doesn't matter. If you choose to do that, both players at all times, if you've lost more units than your opponent or you are behind them in points. Also, some missions don't have you scoring, especially Age of Sigmar. They don't have you scoring until the end of the game. So, of course, there is no winner or loser there until later on in the game. So that's another reason why you do the, you know, if you lost more units. So to me... That is something I want to start implementing in my fun games. It works for me, it works for them, and it just completely cuts out those absolute garbage uh, hits and wounds and saves. So, I really like that. The next thing, and you could implement both of these or whatever, but the next thing is, if you are behind on points and you've lost more people than them. So you qualify for both of them. You're getting your butt handed to you. 
once per turn, you can just re-roll all of the dice, even if you don't meet that 20% threshold. So if you got a bunch of three ups and you only make 50% of them, you can just pick them all up and re-roll them. So that is also an option. That's option number two. Now, the next one is a little odd, but I do like it, okay? So just bear with me here. If at any point in the game you are at 25% of your starting points or less, then all of your remaining units get plus one save and plus one to hit. I really like that. So the reason for doing that, of course, is because narratively you'd be like, oh, these guys, this is their last stand. Okay, 75% of your unit, has, your army has been wiped out. Arguably, your opponent is probably doing a lot better than you, right? Um, and you get plus one to hit and plus one save. I like that because it makes you more durable and it also makes you more deadly, arguably, unless you're rolling terrible. Uh, keep in mind, like I said, I don't expect you to implement all of these, but I do like it. I would call this the last stand, okay? 25% or less of your army is left. All your remaining units get plus one save, plus one to hit. Pretty simple, pretty short and sweet. Now, this next one. Um, uh, like I told you before, Age of Sigmar is often very, very... Um, smaller points, victory points than 40k. So this one actually has a differential between those two uh, games. But at the start of any round, if your opponent has eight points more than you or more, then your entire army deals an additional damage. That's a pretty big deal. Um, remember, if, for those of you that don't play Age of Sigmar, um, wounds always carry over in Age of Sigmar, regardless. Damage always carries over. Um, kind of like Smite does in 40k. Eight or more points higher than you, everything does an additional damage. For 40k, if your opponent is beating you by 16 points or more at the beginning of the round, you do an additional AP for all of your weapons. An additional AP. Damage doesn't carry over, so an extra damage in most cases, there's a lot of people that really don't care if you've got, um, if you do two damage or whatever. You're thinking Hormagons, um, Necron Warriors, uh, Gene Stealers, uh, a bunch of them, you know, everyone except Space Marines, basically. Um, most of the troops only have one hit point, so doing an extra damage really doesn't matter, but that extra AP, so if it was AP1, now it's AP2. If it's AP nothing, now it's AP1 etc, etc. And that could really, really help you. But wait, here's another idea, a separate idea altogether. In Age of Sigmar, if you are losing by eight points or more, then all of your stratagems do not cost a command point. That's actually a pretty big deal, but you're still limited to the number that you can, you know, use per phase and all of that, but all of your stratagems are free now. For 40k, if you're 16 points or below, your stratagems are also free. So, once again, only once per phase, but it would be very, very helpful, especially towards the end game when you've got, you know, hardly any command points or whatever. So, but 16 points is a pretty significant lead on someone, and that, of course, means 16 or more points. So, you could be 30 points ahead of someone or whatever, but getting those extra stratagems off 
could be the difference between life and death for your army. And the minute that you get within those, you know, 15 points or whatever, okay, now it no longer is in effect. So I would start at the beginning of each game round to determine whether or not this, um, any of these apply when it talks about points. And the reason being, obviously, is because you might be, let's say, Age of Sigmar, where you score at the end of the round, or the end of your game turn. You could be trailing, but you know by the end of the turn, you will no longer be within that threshold to use your stuff. So it's going to limit it um, turn by turn, essentially. So if you start making a comeback, then you no longer need that benefit, and then it no longer is active. So I really do like that. So out of all of these things that I've come up with, uh, what is my favorite one and what is the easiest and easiest to implement? Um, personally, I like any time that you have rolled 20% or less successes, you can just pick it up and reroll it. I, I truly like that. That's the simplest, easiest, most streamlined, and it prevents your dice from just plain screwing you. So... That is what I'm going to try and start implementing in my personal games, and it applies to both players equally, and I like it. So thanks for listening to me ramble, and thanks for listening to the podcast, and thank you for supporting me, Patreon patrons, and thank you for supporting me, GameMat.eu. I will see you next week, guys.